I'm Paula Rogers-Brown, Business Community Manager for Connect Health Tech, and in this episode of Joining the Dots, we explore an interdisciplinary research collaboration and its approach to developing new technologies for hard-to-treat cancers. The EPSRC Interdisciplinary Research Collaboration in Targeted Delivery for Hard-to-Reach Cancers aims to develop new technologies to effectively deliver drugs for the treatment of three types of cancers in the pancreas, one in the brain, and also the chest. Joining me today are two of the IRC's investigators, Professor Colin Watts, Chair of the Brain Cancer Programme and Professor of Neurosurgery at the University of Birmingham, and Dr Ronan Daly, an Associate Professor in the Science and Technology of Manufacturing <coughs> at the University of Cambridge's Institute for Manufacturing. Welcome to you both and thank you so much for joining me today. So Colin, let's start with you. If you could briefly tell me how you started your career journey. So it actually began uh, when I was a medical student, Paul, and I, I was searching to do, a, I was interested in doing an intercalated uh, research degree. And I went to talk to uh, a paediatric neurologist and, and, and that <clears throat> she said to me, she said, the brain is the only thing in the universe that proceeds, that presumes to study itself. And I was quite taken with that as a student. So I started on a career uh, funded uh, in part by the MRC um, around understanding that the brain, initially looking at how motor function developed in children and then looking at how intrinsic uh, stem cells in the adult brain might be uh, useful for repairing the injured brain. Um, and then I, I gradually shifted to thinking about how these stem cells might be um, something that could transform uh, into something that was malignant. And the reason I got interested in that was because <clears throat> as a student, I was taught that the brain in the adult is more or less fixed. It doesn't divide. It doesn't repair itself. Um, so then I began asking, well, where do all these tumours come from? if the brain isn't dividing anymore. You don't get cancer of the heart, for example. So that's how I got, I, I morphed from looking at, at neural development and repair to, to cancer. And that's uh, where I've been for about the last ooh, 20 years. Great, thank you so much. Ronan, how about you? I've always been sort of a split, had a split interest between detailed science and practical applications and engineering and that's just followed me ever since my just you know school days so i i studied chemical engineering which is that nice balance between details of chemistry but what happens when you start making things at the large scale so the factory scale and i went to work in uh, a company uh, unilever and was working again and taking new products, innovations that were coming out of research labs and designing how they were made at the large scale. So it was that fundamental science meets turn, you know, factory. How does it how does it transition? And I've always enjoyed that. So for my for my PhD, I ended up going almost entirely into detailed science and chemistry and all sorts of uh, really interesting things. And then as, when I finished that, I, I ended up in Institute for Manufacturing, which is this perfect blend of science meets manufacturing. Uh, and I really feel like the future of manufacturing 
is in a lot of the technologies like the ones in this project, where you need to understand the details of the biology and the physics and the chemistry, but you need to be able to make sure they get to people and they can be produced in an affordable way and in a safe way. So you end up needing someone who can bridge the gap between amazing technology groups and the manufacturing, which is uh, where I end up. Uh, Colleen, I'm just going to come to you now. Uh, this is a, a large scale EPSRC funded IRC involving 18 principal investigators across five lead universities. We've got Birmingham, Cambridge, Glasgow, Imperial and UCL and all the other partner institutions. Can you explain briefly what this collaboration is set up to do, how it works and who is doing what? Certainly, the collaboration was set up to bring together life sciences and non-life sciences. And it, it, it's, it's been set up under the leadership of Professor Maliaras, who has, has really had the vision to recognise that you need an end-to-end -end pipeline with early engagement of end users if you're going to develop technologies in order to, to ensure that those technologies would be used because they have been developed in a way that would ensure that they're used. That might sound a bit of a tautology, but at the end of the day, if, if people develop really good technologies, then, and, and, and it turns out that <clears throat> it's not something that's easily usable in the clinical setting, then it will never take off. How it works is, is essentially through a collaborative, interactive research ecosystem that has been developed across multiple uh, disciplines, focusing on the three cancers that you've already uh, spoken about. Um, but I think the thing that's the standout strength is not only do you have a fantastic bunch of scientists working on on multiple different technologies and i'm sure ronan can can explain that far more detail than i can but you also have end user engagement across the three cancers and then these cross-cutting themes including for example the kind of manufacturing issues that that ronan is is heavily involved in is, is leading the development of because again you can have brilliant technologies, but you need to be able to manufacture them to the right standard in a reproducible way that meets appropriate governance guidelines and, and uh, is suitable for getting appropriate uh, uh, recognition and certification. And technologies are very challenging things to, to develop. There isn't the sort of ecosystem and infrastructure like there is for, for drugs developing a pill. Um, so you have the situation where it's not just about the active component of the technology, it's about the manufacturing and the bits around that technology that make it usable, scalable, and can be manufactured to, to a reproducible quality assured standard. So who's doing what? I think the fact there's so many different groups uh, of scientists, uh, I can certainly say that from a clinical point of view, we have expertise in the three cancers and their their job is, is to promote the research, support the basic science uh, engineering, but also to provide to provide the, the sort of answers or, or at least help address the questions around taking it that final step into clinical manufacturer and, and then use because that there is often a disconnect 
between between the clinical side of things and and the, the the sort of scientific manufacturing side at that kind of late stage. So so the guys interested in pancreas, myself in brain and and mesothelioma are all helping to to make that translational jump. Uh, and that's part of the system. In terms of what the scientists are doing, uh, some people are making hydrogels, some people are making pumps, some people are making nanoparticles. Um, it's it's a wide range of technologies. And then people like Ronan and his team are, 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 are doing doing the necessary to ensure that these can be manufactured properly. That's really great. That's very, very clear, um, uh, very clear explanation, Colin. So what makes these cancers targeted by this collaboration so hard to treat? So they share certain things in common. They, 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 they're often quite advanced by the time they, they present clinically. And what that means is that the cancers have evolved and they've evolved complexity. And what that means is you've got you've got cancer cells, you've got cells that are responsible for supplying those cancers with food and fuel, um, taking away waste products and so on to allow those cancers to grow. You've got cells that are involved in the body's response, so the immune cells, the inflammatory cells, and so on. And you've got the cells that that are involved in the structure, so so fibroblasts and and cells associated with with the organ in which these cancers are growing. So essentially, that what that means is it's a very very complicated ecosystem. And if you if you look at that ecosystem. You could think of it, for example, a bit like the, the, the planet Earth when the dinosaurs were roaming around and you give your treatment and you wipe out these, these cells that are driving this cancer so the dinosaurs become extinct. Brilliant. And then what happens? Well, a previously unrecognized cell population scurrying around in the undergrowth, the mammals, then have space to evolve and develop and become the dominant clone driving this cancer going forward, which is a new one. So that makes it very hard. And that's 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 a common thing for these kind of cancers. And then lastly, particularly for, for pancreas and, and glioblastoma, they both have barriers, the iso- structural barriers, both both anatomical and physiological, that, that isolate those cancers from their surroundings. The, 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 the brain cancers have what we call the blood-brain barrier, and the pancreas has a, what we call a stromal barrier, which is basically a very hard-to-penetrate, tough, fibrous capsule that stops drugs getting in or makes it hard for drugs to get in, as does the blood-brain barrier, because the blood-brain barrier is there to preserve the environment of the brain and keep it steady, uh, so that so that the brain can do what it's supposed to do, which is which is think. So um, that th- th- we've got these barriers to to getting drugs in and targeting treatments. We've got this complex environment in which these cells are growing, and in which uh, resistance to treatment can emerge rapidly. So that's why they are hard to treat. Yeah. It's it's so complex and, and fascinating, and uh, this type of research program is, um, you know, a, a just an, an absolutely great thing to to watch the journey. Um, so just um, on that aspect of the the journey and this multidisciplinary approach, what benefits, Colin, do do you think 
a multidisciplinary approach brings to this type of research program? Well, simplistically, two two heads are better than one. Yeah. But importantly, what what is what is needed as a result of understanding that complexity is the fact that you need to bring multiple skill sets to bear. And I think the traditional approach of of managing it in a rather simplistic fashion where you take a you take an experimental model system and you vary one variable and and you you then gather your results based on your model and then try and translate that has proven very difficult because what that translates as as a clinical trial is standard of care versus standard of care plus x where x is your new treatment or technology and that complexity means that 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 just it hasn't worked that's another you know that these these cancers continue to resist treatment and so increasingly we're recognizing that a systems approach is necessary the the relationships between the different biological elements biophysical elements are fluid and therefore we need multidisciplinary approaches where it's no longer one treatment it's multiple treatments given based on an understanding of how the disease is changing over time so for that reason you don't just need um an oncologist and, and and a scientist you need scientists with expertise in the biology uh, expertise in the physics expertise in in manu- in um, manufacturing expertise in other areas including uh, relatively non-obvious things such as software engineers people who can make novel models because the preclinical models that we have Aren't, aren't really doing the job and and you know increasingly they are becoming more complex requiring multiple scientific uh, uh, groups with different skills coming together to to develop those so it, it's it's understanding the the complexity and then recognizing that and doing something about it and that's where the multidisciplinarity comes in yeah yeah ronan just to bring you in here do you have any other thoughts from your perspective on that manufacturing side Absolutely. So we can't manufacture something unless it's had that underpinning scientific uh, validation. That's not something manufacturing engineers bring. So you, you need to have this shared language, which is difficult to develop. So learning as engineers to work with clinician researchers, world-leading ones like Colin, and just learning how to talk with biologists and physicists and chemists and trans- translate that into engineering and uh, production and knowing what to ask and how to ask, it's a, it's a skill in itself. And so it is needed because you have to be able to share this information and give feedback and redesign things to make it successful. There's an iterative loop. Whenever you're taking some new idea out to market, it's not going to work perfectly first time. But the, the trick is not to fail late. It's to have those discussions as you go along. And to do that, you need multidisciplinarity and you need to develop that shared language. So it's it's not only um, needed in this project. I think it's needed in ever more things in in uh, scientific related you know, subjects so i think it's it's helping us build this capability across all of these different universities that are involved 
So sticking with you, Ronan, um, what do you hope will be the main impact from this collaboration? <coughs> Have there been any wins so far that you can highlight to, to the listeners? So the, the, I guess the, there's a number of big impacts that we're aiming for and we hope for. And of course, the, the main one is making these cancers less hard to treat. And that's what's driving us all forward. And having uh, Colin involved you know, in glioblastoma, that really keeps us grounded. That this is for real people living with cancer, and we are doing this project to find a way forward for future cases and for families. And this is a real key impact that we have to have. We have to explore these technologies and, and find new ways of treating cancers. That is the main one. There are other things, of course, that are impacts due to this work. And one of them, which is maybe less uh, obvious to people who are not involved in such a project is by doing this project we're paving the way we're accelerating future projects we're finding out all these things we talked about about um multidisciplinarity and as colin eloquently put it you know we're we're, we're looking at all these different skills and including manufacturing and we're finding out uh, what we need to consider at an earlier stage and so we're defining what questions need to be asked so we ask things early enough so we don't go too far down the wrong direction and we waste time and money and so we're we're learning about how to do that and we're documenting how to do that so i think accelerating the route to commercialization for new ideas in the clinical field is going to be a very big impact that we have and, and the multidisciplinarity is part of that but it, actually encouraging multidisciplinarity to the extent that I think everyone involved now is realising that this is critical to everything we do. That, that's a big impact. So having clinicians engaging with material scientists and chemists and engineers and then realising you can't work without this. Uh, so that's, that's really having a big impact on all involved. And I would like to point out as well that I think we, we are really um, inspiring a lot of researchers as well and, and shaping their careers and guiding them. They're getting involved at various points in the project and being really inspired by this and changing what they're doing and going off in a direction that is sort of modified because of their experiences. So we're really inspiring them to, to, to get involved in this kind of multidisciplinary work and take it off in their own directions and develop their own research paths outside of this project. So I think we're having a, a positive impact on uh, research careers uh, in, in with those involved and I think what I'm also hoping is we're going to have a, a very positive impact on, on UK manufacturing because of course we're talking about medical technologies and medical devices and and and, and how do we get those out there and the, the medical sector is extremely important to this country uh, and so we also need to think about you know creating things as it's funded by the taxpayer that is beneficial to health key thing, but also beneficial to the, the wider society and manufacturing and, and jobs and things like that. Yeah. Uh, 
in in terms that's maybe a long-winded way of answering that sorry <laughs> I, I think in terms of um, big wins there are five different technologies uh, being developed in parallel and there are you know we all talk to each other and we have cross-cutting themes but there are five different technologies and they're all deliberately chosen at different points of development and some are closer to uh, trial than others, of course, uh, and so each of those has milestones and you know shared wins that I could go into. You know whether it's suddenly finding these particles we've developed them so they're stable or they're biocompatible or uh, the the device is delivering drugs to the right concentration. There's lots of small wins that get us very excited on the way to the patient, but I think one of the um, clear ones that we all share is this um, example of when we all got together as a whole project to map out, here's the idea, this is where we want to get to. We want to get to this trial, testing out how to, you know, how to deliver this high concentration of drug to a tumour in a way that can't currently be done. And we managed to map out all of the steps that have to happen between that idea and that trial and who's doing what, by when, uh, which is an incredible feat. It took many, many workshops with all these different people, with bringing their area of expertise. Uh, and these are things which are very useful for our project, but we're looking at how to share those learnings because that's going to be useful for anyone trying to take an emerging new medical device uh, and bring it out uh, to a patient as quickly as possible. Uh, and as, uh, in a way that is affordable as well. So you don't want to create something that is not going to be affordable. That, that's just not not the right thing to do. So this is a, a process we've we've got running. And I think that's one of the biggest wins. But we've run that for three of the technologies and we'll be translating it over to the others as well as they get to the right stage. That's brilliant. Re really great stuff there, Ronan. And, and just um, touching upon that, um, uh, you know, knowledge exchange and the the the, the necessary um, element of multidisciplinarity. You talked about that, and of course we have Connect Health Tech, which was set up to do exactly that to bring together um, the life sciences and the physical sciences and technology and create those interdisciplinary connections, collaborations, uh, and share learnings as well. And we, you know, I think what what you've just said just really validates why we have something like Connect Health Tech as an online um, community, um, primarily driving these interactions online. Um, thank you so much for that. Colin, I'm going to just turn to you here. We know interdisciplinary working has its pros and cons um, and, and so forth, but what, what, what are the top three things do you feel are important to know in creating effective collaborations of this size and complexity? The first thing uh, that I would highlight, Ronan's already mentioned, which is creating a common language that you can understand. And I think it's very different. If I, if I describe the, the standard of care, radiotherapy and chemotherapy, 
um, to to a, a bunch of of scientists and particularly chemists, they come back to me with this this squiggly little formula which has got all the molecules and and and, and atoms all sticking off in different directions, and what they can do from just looking at that thing that's scribbled down that I remember vaguely from A level chemistry, they can tell you how this thing is going to behave and whether it'll penetrate fat or or, or not or whatever, and and that trying to translate what we're talking about into into ways we can we can understand is is really important um and i think that's one of the things that this this collaborative uh, this particular collaborative effort has is doing it's ongoing and has already made great strides because it's building that infrastructure and part of that infrastructure is how we communicate and what we say to each other in ways that that, that are understandable I think the second thing would be end user engagement for the reasons I've already highlighted because <clears throat> you're in this you're in this organization you're in this team and you you you're doing some really great stuff and I think Ronan's also highlighted the fact that on the journey um you you can have lots of products and lots of discoveries and innovations and things that that are if you like byproducts of that journey um, but that journey is ongoing because you've got an end in sight and you've got an end in sight because you've got um, the right kind of end users speaking a language that the scientists can understand, particularly bridging that gap between life sciences and non-life sciences. And so so that helps. And then which obviously brings me to the third point, which is which is to set objectives that are smart, that are time bound and reproducible, measurable and that you you have appropriate metrics and milestones so that you can you can realize byproducts and and realize new ideas or technologies or innovations along the journey because it may be that you never get to that end point within the time horizon of the grant but nevertheless you know that that, uh, that there are plenty of things that will be good products coming out of it and that is not only the, 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 the new discoveries, but as Ron's already alluded to, it's it's that infrastructure which would not be there if we hadn't developed this collaboration. You've got five universities talking to each other. I mean, that's, that's brilliant. It's quite often hard enough to get five departments in the same institute talking to each other. So, so you know, we've already made fantastic inroads uh, <laughs> in, in terms of what we're doing. So those would be my, those would be my, my, my top three. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Colin. And just sticking with you on this, um, because the programme started in 2018, so you're a long way through. Then, of course, two years later, COVID-19, pandemic hits us. What challenges have you had to overcome and what impacts has it had on that research to reality journey? I think I think the um, the first thing was the way that everything ground to a halt. Um, we didn't know what the future was was going to hold. We didn't know how things were going to going to happen. Uh, a lot of laboratory research uh, was suspended. Um, universities closed. Students um, took up other 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 things, such as helping out in the pandemic and vaccinating and so on and so forth. So I think I think there was that stop that then getting the science going again, getting the engine of this collaboration ticking over again has been um perhaps the biggest impact and it's it, it's moving forward it's it's gone forward there have been positives there has been more um 
virtual communication, um, but there's, you can't beat the face-to-face -face communication because what's been missing has been those those discussions over a cup of coffee about, well, we're struggling with this. Oh, right, well, why don't you do that? Um, so that's been missing and that's been a, a real challenge. I think from, from a, an end user perspective, it's well known that there's been significant impact on the NHS and that, that the sort of, you know, that the sort of clinical research environment is particularly challenged. And therefore keeping, keeping a focus, keeping people aware of um, the, these early phase developments and ensuring that their relevance is highlighted and continues to be emphasized is also important because it's very easy for people to just give up or focus on just one area that, that is easy that they can that they can work on and the whole thing about this collaboration it is it is focusing on what's not easy um, from a clinical point of view that the target diseases are not easy the engineering and manufacturing challenges are not easy because if they were easy we'd be doing it already and on the back of it we have infrastructure challenges um, we, we, I personally believe that we could do more nationally to, to, to develop the infrastructure for technology manufacture to a GMP standard for use in healthcare. So, so it's ensuring and promoting the ongoing relevance of that kind of thing, which is very easy to put on the back burner and, and not talk about it too much. Um, but I think that's a strength of this collaboration that we've, we've got all these areas covered. We've got the lab work back up and running. We've got the end user engagement and we are continuing to advocate for the infrastructure development and leading by example. Great, absolutely great. Ronan, did you want to input there? I was going to, if I may, I was going to just uh, strongly agree, vehemently agree with Colin's points um, and also one in particular about the infrastructure. So going through that very difficult time for everyone. Uh, we needed as a as a country to respond to disrupted supply chains and the need for PPE and the need for tests, the need for all sorts of things to support the NHS. And and also a lot of the things that we were finding challenging in our project were sort of highlighted there. How do you take an idea rapidly to production? and distribution in a way that's resilient so you can respond as a nation uh, and so having you know having more of those capabilities for such contingencies would be would be very helpful uh, and there are things being developed uh, around the the country that have been influenced by this and i'm thinking like the medical device manufacturing center up in harriet watt and a lot of the initiatives that uh, we're looking at in in cambridge as well looking at how do you support industry to take ideas out to market rapidly when needed how do you find the right conditions for manufacturing so things can be made safely to the correct international standards so that they are um, appropriate for use. So all of, a lot of these things were highlighted through, through what we went to and are being developed maybe a bit faster now because of that experience in case things happen again. But one of the things as well that I, um, I'd agree with Colin as well about the, the impact and especially in the labs, but also especially in multidisciplinarity, it, it is difficult because people are based in different buildings and different universities and there's different lockdown 
requirements in different places and they are everyone is uh, experiencing different things in their life and different levels of uh, severity of impact and so those discussions were not as easy being able to drop into one university and look at something in a lab and figure it out and then go somewhere else just stopped uh, and so it really uh, highlighted to us when we got back how wonderful it is to be able to work together in person when it comes to these kinds of things. You you need to be able to talk face to face, but you need to be able to look at things and develop things and do experiments together and interpret information together. Uh, and so that was very challenging to suddenly have to work in more isolation than we were used to. Uh, I think it's just so nice to be able to get back and the level of relief to be able to do that again has been noticeable. Yeah, uh, that's great. Thank you very much, Ronan. And uh, let's stick with manufacturing, Ronan, and um, take a little bit of a look at the manufacturing research and how has the manufacturing research helped to overcome the challenges of delivering effective cancer treatments? Rather than go through each technology, I might might just pick an example to give uh, or two examples as needed to to go through that. So the the road mapping that I mentioned before is something developed uh, to a great degree in Institute for Manufacturing, and it's a uh, a technique to identify and pull out all the different tasks that have to happen to allow something to be manufacturable. And so the manufacturing research is not just about the production process. It's about de-risking, asking the manufacturing related questions at the time when science, scientists are looking at it, rather than developing a product. And then when it comes to manufacturing, you realize this isn't going to work. We have to go back. So we're able to help with things. So, for example, uh, if we look at the implantable devices for delivering drugs to inoperable glioblastoma, deep deep tumours within the brain, and these Im implantable devices will deliver drugs at high concentrations to that tumour, then we need to be able to understand, well, if we're developing something and it's going to be reaching patients, it has to be something that you can sterilise to, to a level that is acceptable to a um, an international standard. But when you do that, you can actually change the surface chemistry, you can change the mechanical properties. And so it's a, it's a manufacturing related question that will immediately impact the choice of materials and the way they behave, which can influence how the drug is delivered. So we're helping link those together and do the, the manufacturing and sterilization related questions at the same time as the material choice and the design questions. And the same is true of uh, biocompatibility, knowing that whatever you uh, are inserting is acceptable to the tissue that's surrounding it, is not going to respond in a, in a bad way, it's not going to be irritated by it. But you need to ask those later stage questions earlier now, because now you can, you're, you're free to choose those materials. But you, you, you need to think about all of these different questions and what they are and what order they need to be tackled and the level of importance. So another example is well, we want to deliver drugs to uh, in that scenario to a tumour. How can you know that you're delivering it? 
well, you need to have some way of testing it. And you need to be able to test it, not in a person, but in a lab. And you need to be able to see where the molecules are going. So we're able to build something that mimics the insertion, that mimics the tissue around it, and allows you to watch as the drug comes out. And then you can see, well, as we change the conditions and the designs and the materials, how does that change the delivery? So we're able to identify those uh, acceptance criteria and we can link them to the things being developed and then we can build the experiments needed for scientists to validate what they're developing so it can go on to manufacturing. And we that's where we end up doing most of our work. We say, well, this is your technology. This is where you're aiming for. There's some techniques needed to help you validate it. And we do that. So there's the one I mentioned where you're watching the drugs being delivered. There's one where there's nanoparticles that will be circulating in the body before they reach a tumour. So we're able to build something that mimics that circulation. And you see how stable are they? And, and will they, during that circulation, reach this um, tissue phantom, this fake tumour? And we can develop things in in a lab where things can be controlled and watched before we think about going the next stage towards a patient so we're we're just bridging that gap between the new technology and taking it towards a, a patient it is really fascinating to listen ronan to the you, you explain how deep uh, the manufacturing research is and embedded in that whole co-creation and the design and development of the treatment delivery devices. And it's that it's that hand in hand, hand in glove approach um, to the research that really then you can you can see the impacts then. You talked a little earlier, Ronan, about there being um, five different technologies being developed. Mm what stages are they at and right now and what are the next steps for them uh, well i'll i'll start to answer that and colin may want to jump in because he's closer to the patient side of things as well but they are at a very different stages and that's deliberate so we wanted things that are really emerging technologies and exciting new things that we're trying to take a step forward because they will be transformative and then we were taking things that had had some proof of concept but never been used in this way but they're already closer to the patient than other things so we'd be able to help get them that bit closer through some more research and then we have ones in the middle so it really is you know, when we started this was some brand new ideas to things that had been considered for some time already, but there were it hadn't been looked at before in this particular area. So it, it really, they span that, that whole area. Now, I know Colin had been working with uh, one of our uh, colleagues on, um, on the gels, on the hydrogels. So again, for uh, glioblastoma, but things that can be resected. And those are uh, closer, I believe, Colin. That's sort of at one end of the of the spectrum. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be um, the technology that's perhaps most advanced, and and I think it's fair to say we've been working on that with with um, um, w with Oren and the team uh, in Cambridge for a long, long time. Um, it's interesting that the way that the, that the that the group has expanded, the network has expanded, has brought in other 
clinical teams uh, with an interest in this area as well. So that's that's brilliant because it, it it develops resilience in in the uh, in the ecosystem for taking that forward clinically. Um, I think there are other technologies such as um, mini osmotic pumps that, that don't need liquid that will that will use electric charge to deliver drugs that are perhaps um, not quite so advanced but could potentially be used for small deep seated uh, tumors that are deep in deep in the body in the brain for example and then um, there's some there's other other uh, technologies such as uh, well, I call them moths. I'm sure you can tell tell the audience a lot more about what these organoid frameworks are. But basically, these vehicles that are at the sort of preclinical, let's see how they get into tumor tissue and and mini brain and organoid stuff. So so that th- they're at a, a much earlier stage. But so yeah, those are the three technologies I'm most aware of. Uh, and so the reason I mentioned five, although there's those are the the three there's there's sort of in the the metal organic frameworks there are these cage structures that hold the, the drugs inside we also have other nanoparticles that are polymeric that are delivering um drugs so there's another one there and in terms of the that deep probe that uh, colin mentioned there's there's two types of those so there there's different research groups and there it's um but those nanoparticulate ones as you said are uh, those really exciting things with great through this project some uh, great initial uh, validation that these are going to be things for the future that will be really transformative and then the hydrogel is much much closer to the patient as well than than those other ones so we we do span that but that's deliberate because you want to have you want to progress things to a patient you want to show that you're going to develop things uh, within the time frame that can then go towards trial um, by the end of the project, that we can develop something that can have a chance of making it to a trial, but that we can also take things from uh, just ideas and concepts and, and using that same infrastructure, apply those learnings and all the things they're learning as they go towards that later stage benefits the earlier ones. They can take all that learning and accelerate what they're doing. So leads me on to my next question. Um, so, uh, so Ronan, the drug delivery technologies being developed in this programme are for hard to treat cancers. However, do you think there are opportunities to use the same technologies for other diseases or conditions? Uh, I'm, I may suggest the the uh, Colin with his clinical expertise comments on this, but from my opinion, absolutely, because you are taking nanomaterials, for example, which are being functionalized. So they're having things attached, which will then tackle or deliver um, an active component. And they're being targeted to certain things. That is a very generic uh, capability. So yes, we are focusing on, on cancer, we're focusing on tumors, but there's no reason why you wouldn't focus on something else once you've developed that capability. And with um, in, with implants, with probes that have certain uh, capabilities to deliver electrical charge and electrical stimulation and, and delivery of materials, they have many different potential uh, applications as well. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the next step at the end of the project or towards the end of the project is identifying those and having spin out research areas based on what we've learned. For From the manufacturing side, and maybe I'm going on too much about it, uh, obviously I'm biased, but I think the, the learnings are 
really important. I think what we're also developing is a tool set for the future that people can use to accelerate their exploration of ideas. And that doesn't have to be for cancer treatment at all. And in fact, we're already talking with people about entirely new uh, medical devices and sensing and diagnostics. And they're they're talking to us about how you go through that pathway to market. And they're talking to us about road mapping and how you do that and what questions come up. So these things that are not scientific discoveries, but are part of this project are already um, helping in other areas. Great. Colin? Yeah, I would second that. I mean, if, if you use the probes that deliver an electric charge and, and a drug as, as, as an example, um, that they're, they're, they're designed to deliver to a very discrete area. You could envisage, for example, putting those into patients with Parkinson's disease to deliver to deliver drugs or, or technology to alter the activity, a bit like currently we do with deep brain stimulation. There are patients with epilepsy and hard to treat uh, epilepsy who might benefit from technologies that have been, you know, being developed and thought about. Um, in terms of treating complex medical uh, conditions with with drugs, we've already alluded to the fact that that we need to deliver multiple drugs in a synergistic way. Nanoparticles may have a, you know, I think they've got a huge potential for delivering multiple different payloads at the same time. Um, and, and technologies for crossing barriers like the blood-brain barrier, the stromal barrier, and other, other examples in, in different diseases. So I think it's, you know, there's huge potential. Uh, and we just don't know where this is all going to go, what we'll be doing in 10 years' time. But that's all part of the fun. For sure. Uh, for those listening to this podcast, can you tell us why outreach activities and communicating the science is so important for large scale programmes like this one? I, I think the outreach and communication are all part of the same thing, which is communication to raise awareness, to increase understanding. And this is important because it empowers patients and their carers to reach out and say look why can't we do this and to go to their doctors and print something off the internet as a doctor there's nothing more scary than a patient marching into your clinic with a printout from the internet stuffing it under your nose and saying what about this well that's fantastic because they, they you know they're empowered to do that it's important for, for, for to to highlight things that are going on with researchers because science goes it's not a linear journey it's a zigzag from one strange idea to the next and and that's good and i think some of the most fun i've had in the research scale is is, is when i've collaborated with people who have nothing to do with brain cancer or, or, or brain or you know whatever and lastly i think it's important because um we need to raise awareness with policymakers, with advocates we need to promote our activity and and promote um government engagement policy engagement nhs engagement in difficult hard to treat conditions um just because they're hard to treat you know, we can't let them go into the too difficult to treat box. And so I think that that occurs, that applies way beyond, um, way beyond cancer. So lots of reasons for outreach, but it all boils down to communication. And one of the great challenges is, is comes back to where we began, which is to communicate in a common language that people can understand in, in a simple way that gets the message over. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you. And some, some great advice and 
just learning there. I, I, I think this is um, our listeners are going to get so much from this podcast. Thank you both so much. Colin, I will start with you. If you could time travel, where would you go and when? <laughs> if I could time travel, I would want to go to about 25, 30 years in the future because I'll probably either be pushing up the daisies or in a state of senile uh, retirement. But I would want to do that because I'd want to see how these technologies and how these things are, have, have developed within a realistic human time frame, just to get a feel for where this amazing journey is, is going. Great. Ronan? That's really interesting, Colin, because I was going totally the opposite direction. <laughs> I was shooting back into the past. Um, and I'd probably regret it considerably, but something I've been quite passionate about in the medical world is understanding when we're making devices and we're creating new technologies, why on earth we're not thinking about how we're going to make them in a sustainable way. And we think about their end of life and we think about design for disassembly and dis and design for reuse and all of these things and you just sort of want to go back in time to lots of other areas of um, production and manufacturing and, and try even if it probably fail try and and bring those things to light rather than the situation that we're in now um, so uh, totally it would probably be frustrating and time wasted uh, but that's what i would want to try and do yes <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I think that just illustrates there's two heads are better than one. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we, they'd be learning from both. Going as long as we could meet up over a drink afterwards, back in the, the, at exactly the middle right, and tell yeah. each other what we saw, that would be even better, yes. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much, Ronan. Um, and starting with you, Ronan, on this one, then we'll go to Colin. For you, Ronan, is it about the journey or the destination? Um, destination. It's probably because of the engineer in me. I feel like I love learning. I love discovery. And there's nothing more exciting than that idea that comes out of nowhere and then you turn it into something that's wonderful. But the engineer in me doesn't want to do that unless it's going to be it somewhere. It has. To, I have to. That's the buzz. It's the idea that it it might actually turn into something. And I know that's different for everyone. Uh, but it's always been, what's that thing that we're going to say, there you go, now it's working. That's, that, that's for me, is the, the driver, the destination. Colin, how about you? I'll, 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 and it, this is not being deliberately contrary, but again, I'd, I'd, I'd go for the journey, <laughs> which, is, which is different. And the reason, the reason for that is that science isn't a linear trajectory and it goes in all sorts of directions i started off looking at motor function in neonates and then looking looking at how we might repair the brain using using stem cells and then how how the brain develops cancers and how we might treat them um i think that i'll caveat that with the fact that uh, the journey is important but you do need an end point to aim at so i'd i'd, I'd go for the journey with that caveat I like it, Colin. That's that's a really good way of phrasing it. Um, Colin, we'll stay with you for this final question. Do you have a book or podcast or article that you've recently enjoyed that you could recommend to our audience? Yes, um, but it's it, it's more about scientific leadership and the the, the need for team working. Mm -hmm. And it, it it's it's a paper by. 
Canaldapi et al., which was an, an overview of how we can improve the treatment of brain cancer, published in Nature Reviews about two years ago. Um, but that's a really hard question because we're going in so many directions at the moment. That's just an example. Sure. Thank you. Ronan? I'll give you one work-related and one uh, which is probably more uh, from the heart. I would, I would encourage people to read, you know, engineers and scientists to explore the uh, humanities and the historical humanities more as well. You need to push your mind in different directions. You, you can't focus, in my opinion, on one thing and you need to get that other aspect. And, and so I also have up there books of poetry, but also books on the history of science and the history. I would just go into a, an, a secondhand bookshop or a, a library and, and find things that are going to push you towards creative world because it's exciting parts of your thinking, your thought process that you don't use. And it really honestly helps. And you go and you read some great poetry and then you you come back and and you're thinking in a different way or you know that that's and, and the same is true of podcasts I, I love these types of events but then also i'd like to try and find something that will push my brain in a way it doesn't get to do every day uh you're only good at it when you can approach it in a in a healthy uh mindset as well so taking hobbies taking time and for me recently getting into more gardening and gardening books and gardening podcasts uh it just it lets you escape and then you come back fresh and it brings out new ideas that you didn't know were in there in your head. Uh, Colin, uh, do, do you want to come in there? I think you, you're, you've got something <laughs> on mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. You, you need, you need a, to enrich your life with things outside of work. Um, sometimes less is more. So there's no doubt that doing, doing other things outside of that is um you know is is uh is is important so yes that, that it's important to have the hinterland and uh, to recognize that um you know particularly if you if you want to come at things from a completely different angle sometimes taking a yeah i and i do think that modern society is recognizing that uh, a work a, a better work-life balance can actually be better in the long run um, and where this is going with science, I don't know, because scientists and, and, and academics, clinician scientists, they, they tend to be very focused and, and it's everything is, a, is built around that. Um, but if you look at the ones that are more than just footnotes in history, they've all had a hinterland. And we're in it for the long haul. Work's a long time, right? So you, you do need that hinterland, that something else. Well, thank you, Ronan and Colin. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you both today. Uh, and thank you for being part of this Joining the Dots podcast and talking to me. Um, we've got so much um, from, from this discussion. Early engagement of end users is key. Um, taking a systems approach is necessary to develop treatments and creating and, and finding a shared language to, across disciplines, um, you know, and setting those smart objectives, appropriate metrics and milestones for the journey when you're having so many experts involved. And uh, just on a final note, you know, collaborating with others outside of your field of expertise. Um, it's been fascinating and enjoyable. And I know our listeners are going to get a lot from it. Thank you both. Thank you, Paula. It's been Thank brilliant. Thank you, Paula. Yes. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it.